it's it's been nothing but hard work. Yeah. Growth comes with incredible challenges. To be honest, the um, I think sort of going back as well and sort of setting the scene, the current business has been, Digital Ethos has been successful. So everything looks rosier today. Yeah. But the string of 15 years of failed businesses and all the other bits that came along. So we'll touch on them in a little while to, to be real about it. Yeah. They actually built me to a point where I understood what good business looked like and more importantly, what good leadership looked like. Luke Tobin, folks, founder of international marketing agency, Digital Ethos, startup mentor and investor through Tobin Capital. You'd think as an entrepreneur, he's done it all. But in the beginning of the episode, he says he's just getting started. By the end of it, he has me believing it without a shadow of a doubt. I always like to sum up a few key takeaways in these intros, and the main one here is authenticity. When I ask him about why he cares about sustainability in his business, it's not because everybody else does or because a business advisor told him to. It's because of what he's seen and what he's heard in Southeast Asia. This theme continues when I ask him about where he finds the confidence to pursue innovative ideas and innovative thoughts, and what it really feels like to learn from your failures. If you want a very real account of what it looks like to reach this level, you've come to the right place. Let's dive in. Hi there, welcome to Director's Debrief, episode 32. I always looked around during this part of the podcast. Is it 32? Even though I, I, I forgot to count one, but that's okay. On this week's episode, uh, we have Luke Tobin with us. That's and great. Uh, great to have you and I'm going to be doing a bit of an introduction for you but okay. I'd love to see sort of how you introduce yourself give us a bit of a, a snapshot Luke Tobin CEO of Digital Ethos founder as well um, running the company for about seven years now excited to be here and thanks for having me uh, genuinely it's my pleasure and I was telling you a bit earlier how this thing is mainly for my curiosity now I just get to, to sit down with people like yourself and, and ask you uh, a bunch of different questions and I've realized it kind of dives in straight into, into the heavy stuff so I'm, I'm, I'm okay. sorry in advance but you are somebody who's seemingly sort of done it all business-wise at this point would you is that something you would say you agree with I think you're always learning right there's always more to do yeah. so um Personally, I would say there's a long way to go, but I can see how some of that, uh, some of the history maybe looks like that. Interesting. That's a very good answer. <laughs> and we'll, we'll dive into that a bit. But you've founded this business, you're an investor, you're a mentor. Uh, the likes of Rishi Sunak said he ought to keep an eye on you. Is that when you accepted a, a business award? It was for 50 most ambitious leaders to watch in the UK. Yeah, it was with the Telegraph. It was, yeah, nice, nice to be recognized. Definitely. Yeah. So I think I'm trying to paint a picture here of your success. Don't worry, we'll dive into some of the failures too. Oh yeah, <laughs> keep lots of them. Yeah. But I'm genuinely curious if you could pinpoint one or two reasons maybe of why you've seen the sort of success in your, in your business um, and other ventures. Yeah, sure. I mean, to be honest, the, um, I think sort of going back as well and sort of setting the scene, the current business has been, Digital Ethos has been successful. So everything looks rosier today. Yeah. But the string of 15 years of failed businesses and all the other bits that came along. So we'll touch on them in a little while to, to be real about it. Yeah. They actually built me to a point where I understood what good business looked like and more importantly, what good leadership looked like. I think when I was younger, certainly I probably from coming from a commercial sort of sales background, yeah. I wanted to be the best, right? I wanted to be the, that, that sort of ambition and that motivation has driven me business wise, but also makes you a pretty crappy manager sometimes <laughs> and bad leader of people. So 
to be a good leader, I had to learn humility and had to learn to take a back seat and actually push everybody else forward. So I think really the main thing that's driven success in Digital Ethos is getting good people in, people that believe what I believe and are able to carry that journey with me. Um, but more importantly, let them shine and push them forward. And, and really, it's the people that I have around me as well as my drive, I think, that's, that's led to the success. That's really interesting that you mentioned that because I was chatting to Ash from Well Products about yeah. this yeah. and I was asking him what his sort of favorite part of being a managing director was and he loves to he, he loves the idea of putting people in the right places and mm-hmm. that kind of sort of echoes what you just said there. I actually wanted to, to touch on this a bit later but you, you've kind of touched on it perfectly. In terms of recruitment, mm. you've mentioned that it's about putting the, the right people in the right place. I've often found myself being the dumbest person in, <laughs> in the room. Is that something that's, that you relate to? That's a great thing. If you can be the, you know, if you can be the dumbest person in the room and you've collected experts in their field then I think that's fantastic right and I, I, it's um being in the marketing space as well as 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 we are I think it's really interesting to see the movement of the industry it's constantly evolving and when I started 15 years ago and I was working on the tools you know, I haven't worked on the tools in years yeah. so I can still talk about it I still understand the movements much more from a strategy point of view but yeah, having the people in the room that are smarter and that can actually do the doing is is critical. I think it really comes down to understanding what your weak points are and what your gaps are, yeah. and then finding people that fill those and fill them so that it starts overflowing with success. Can I just ask quickly, in terms of finding your own weak points, would you mind explaining like what what were some of your weak points? Yeah, they still are. I mean, oh. you know, I, I I would say I'm entrepreneurial by spirit which means I have an idea a minute and I have to try and keep that controlled (laughs) so I need people around me that will listen to me understand that but also help me to work through the stuff that's actually probably mission critical my own organization day to day I realized you know I get pulled into lots of different directions and I get excited about certain things so I will happily start to get distracted if I'm not careful so Having a PA now that helps to organize my time and be a lot more efficient has been has been fantastic. And it's something that I didn't do for so long. And I should have done it years ago. Um, again, you always think that you're okay until you realize that you, you weren't. Yeah. Having people around me that also bring out the best in me, I think is really important. Yeah. You know, within our agency, we have technical-minded people, any very analytical people through to creators, through to, and we have to have a place that is inclusive for everybody some of those departments probably aren't as a natural fit or uh, to my own personality. So having such a mix and an eclectic mix of people is important to be able to get the best, I think, for me and for everyone else as well. Yeah. I just want to go back to, to talking about digital ethos for a second here. Yeah. Um, just before we hit record, we were talking about how this is quite a saturated market. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also a market that you've been called a bit of a pioneer in. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that was a headline that I read somewhere. Mm-hmm. What do you think has been the, the difference there? How do you make a company in such a saturated market succeed? Yeah, I mean, look, it's, um, I think there's six and a half thousand agencies in the UK as of today. Wow. Um, I read somewhere that a couple of hundred agencies um, in the pandemic were forming every month which is incredible, right? And don't get me wrong, there's a lot of them also going under every month. But um, yeah, it's a fascinating industry and space to be in because of the level of competition, which drives innovation. And actually there's positives to that as well. But from our side, I think the thing that has allowed us to separate is probably understanding and building more of a a bridge with with the client. Mm. Um, I've been in the space for... 10 or so years worked in other agencies and they always seem to be a bit of a void almost like a no man's land that sits between the client relationship and the delivery partner yes the um, client needs the delivery partner 
agency needs the client. But this like no man's land is where mistrust happens, information drops down, communication uh, drops. So I came into this with a vision of bridging a gap and trying to like have a really solid communication structure. I think what worked with that is that we were able to retain clients, right? Again, the industry yeah. has quite a high turnover. Massive, of staff. yeah. I recently learned this. As, um, yeah. Clients, yeah, clients and staff. So the first three years, all of our staff stayed yeah. and pretty much all the clients, I think we lost like five clients in the first, certainly the first two years. So our retention rate was really, really strong and we were bringing in five, 10 new clients a month due to the structure and the way that we spoke about ourselves being quite different. So that sort of gave us that sort of 100, 150% year on year growth, which built more stability um, around what we were trying to do. But as you said at the start, it is a saturated space. And again, I've been sort of reflecting recently on, okay, it's great, you know, to start with when you get going, you look at the other agencies, the nearest and dearest competitors now of ours, and you go, God, if we were just like them, I'd be so happy. So what do you do? You start building your brand around what they look like. You yeah. start following what they do. You start watching them on podcasts and reading their blogs. But then eventually one day you wake up and you go, I am now one of them. Yeah. But do I want to just be one of hundreds of agencies or do we actually need to be something more? And that's where I'm sort of toying with things at the moment. In terms of the, the future? The future, yeah. It's a very real risk. I mean, it's something we were mentioning like, Something for us is we desperately don't want to be commoditized. You know, if, no. we're, if we're served up on a platter next to the next five agencies, we don't want to be compared on, on price. No. Going forward, how do you think that, that looks? Or what do you think that looks like? And where do you find the confidence to pursue that? Because obviously this means now you're going to be going after something new, something untested, mm. right? Where do you think you find the confidence to, to be able to do that? Is there, you know, in the last 15 years, what have you found gives you that? ability to do that i think with this particular move that i'm going to make now i really i've never felt more confident actually wow. so i think going into the agency to start with and building up you are starting from a even though you've got those years of experience behind me you are starting something that's completely fresh i think the beauty is now we do have a solid business that is profitable with great people in it and i think to start working and pivoting at this point actually probably you're coming from a more secure place to do sure. that and as long as the buy-in and the team are behind it, which they are, and really our sort of our focus with this future of what Digital Ethos looks like is very much being much more of an international agency, which we've started to touch on. We've opened up in Toronto in the last 12 months. We've opened in Germany as well. And really what we're trying to do is help clients in those markets move into the UK or um, a UK company move into those markets. or to really look at how we can help companies internationalize. Yeah. Having a spot in North America... Then in the UK, which is normally the next sort of battleground for companies moving out of the, the US or Canada, and then into Europe and having all that nuanced understanding is, is where we see a lot of potential growth. But really not talking about ourselves as an agency anymore. We actually think that's probably dead. Yeah. It's overdone. It's consultancies, agencies, all the buzzwords to me sort of make me cringe now. And I really want to move towards technology, people and data. Okay, that's very cool. So they're the three things. So leveraging technology, whether that's other people's technology to help support us. And we do that on micro levels, but we want to really start investing heavily in that. We are, and it's quite confidential at this stage, but we are building some of our own tech as well, which will help with the day-to-day -day management of accounts, as well as some proprietary stuff for clients, which I think is going to be quite interesting. And then the people, the expertise is always going to be there. It's so critical, right? The specialty, yeah. that, that is the secret source. But if you can prop that up and support that best-in-class delivery with industry leading tech, as well as then understand the data in what is becoming a more complex 
data reduction type world with um, iOS updates and everything else, I think you can have something quite special. Amazing. And so I actually wanted to talk to you about your international sort of offices. You've got one. How long have you had the one in Germany for? Germany is about nine months old now. Nine months old. And you just yeah. got back from Canada from, from setting up that. Yeah. Um, and you have teams based out there, right? So in uh, Germany, there's four, four okay. people. And in Canada, there's just one at the moment. Yeah, okay. It's obviously very, very new. Yeah. So that's really cool. So have there been any like culture learnings for you that you could either bring here or send over there in terms of working? I used to work at a, a fintech company and yeah. they when they set up their office in America, they came back with this refreshed like take on how America tends to go big mm -hmm. right there was this a lot of talk about this going big obviously you're in North America but are there any uh, sort of culture things that you think would benefit your UK office or vice versa that you can sort of migrate around it's really interesting actually so Lauren our VP of growth um, in North America I think some of the, the cultural nuances that I've noticed with him is his like get up and go attitude yeah like just coming on the calls that we have so you know, British culture, I think, in general, can sometimes be... We're a little bit more reserved, right? Sure, yeah. So he comes on a call and, like, straight away, the flamboyantness, the energy... You know, I've always joked that with people in, in the States or North America in general, you turn a camera on them, they look like they're in Hollywood, right? They're pros. <laughs> you can go to someone, like, random in the street. And um, actually, we when I was over there, we filmed the whole process. So we actually have tested some of that. And it's unbelievable how quickly they can just turn it on for the camera. I mean, I'm jealous of this skill. But, um, so some of that... Um, I guess energy mm. and passion it's been really exciting for me and again coming from my sort of sales commercial background it's like I've really fed off that so I'm really grateful for his energy um, on the German side interestingly kind of the complete opposite okay. um, you know much more conservative um, uh, you know German uh, personalities and English personalities are much more akin than people probably uh, realise um, and certainly from a humor perspective sarcasm you know it's very very similar but that sort of understanding of how that works so again a bit more conservative you have to be a lot more direct you have to be a lot more structured with the information that you feed so all of that has actually probably helped everything that we've done here so we're actually from a process and structural perspective we're learning from the german side right. we're also starting to understand more of the complexities around language mm -hmm. translations different dialects all of that stuff which has been an absolute whirlwind yeah. but fascinating as well to be part of um, and then on the North American side, yeah, I think just the energy, the passion, but also I'm very aware that by launching two markets at the same time, there's a lot of spread energy and momentum. I'm all about sort of having normally laser, fo laser focus like um, on one particular thing at a time, but I've been able to step up a bit more strategically now mm -hmm. to be able to, to work on these things because we've got such a good management team in place in the, in the UK business. So. But yeah, lots of learnings and lots of continued learnings. It sounds like it, yeah. The, the, it's funny you mention that because the one thing we noticed when we started having regular Zoom calls with the American team at, at this company was at the end of the meetings, everybody applauds. Uh, applauds. Oh, wow. Okay. And it was really confusing to us because you've got you know a room full of like 20 Brits concluded the meeting, ready to end the call, and everyone's applauding. And the Brits just kind of looked around. <laughs> like the first time it happened, it really... Did we have to clap? Yeah, yeah exactly. We did, like <laughs> yeah. out of peer pressure. But that's actually something we do at the office after the morning brief, okay. just to get a bit psyched for, for, for the day. Obviously, you've got warehouse like opportunities, you've got um, account managers, etc. Um, so that's really, really interesting that you mentioned that. Mm. Um, in terms of people, you mentioned you have quite a low turnover. Has that changed over time? Because you've, you've scaled in terms of teams. Mm. Um, so has that changed? And have you found... 
what challenges have you found with a growing team? Everybody associates growth with like positivity, popping mm -hmm. champagne, but there's a lot of growing pains that, you know, from my experience at least, but how about from you? It's, it's been nothing but hard work. Yeah. Growth comes with incredible challenges. Um, from a team perspective, you know, when you first start, I always talk about it, you know, 10 or 15 people in a company, you're a family, yeah. right? You, you are, you're probably hanging out the weekends, you're definitely staying late, getting pizzas in and doing stuff. It, it's that startup scale up energy. And those initial people that come in, you know, if you get the right ones, are, you know, um, industry defining people, which is amazing. And, and, you know, we've still got a lot of them with us. But you then go from 15 to 30, let's say, and you start to become a bit more of a proper company and you don't then as a founder get as much time or energy with the new yeah. people as you did the previous then the previous feel like you haven't got as much time for them as you did previously and then one or two of them start to leave and that has so so effectively as as we've scaled you know there has been these periods of the company not being processed not enough process in place to support the growth yeah um, we grew so quickly, you know, the first four years we're doubling, if not one year, we tripled in size in one year. Mm. You just don't have the foundations to support that level of growth sure. and the client demands and the extra phone calls that are coming in, ad hoc requests and the pressure that puts on the team is immense. And quite a lot of people buckle under that and did buckle under it. So, so no, we have had, I think, you know, from, from starting and really scaling up over the last five years, you know, we, we've probably... I don't know, seen at least half the team go, if not more. Um, but what we've tried to do is learn from that in the journey. First couple of years was very solid with the team that we had. As soon as we then started to turn into more of a corporation or sort of, you know, larger small business, um, we've had to adapt. And I really think this year, especially, has been a maturing year for us. I've learned a lot okay. through less growth, actually. We acquired two businesses, so arguably we have grown because of that. But our own revenue at DE has been... Yeah, maybe 15, 20% growth, much more sustained and mature levels of, of business growth. Um, but all the processes and the team members we've brought in are much more senior. Yeah. You know, we've opened up the checkbook on hiring, you know, more experienced people to start building in more levels of structure to support the team below. And I think where we maybe got it wrong to start with, because we didn't know how to get it right, probably. <laughs> um, I really feel like we have a very, very solid structure and support structure in place now for the team members yeah. um which should build long-term stability but but yeah i mean to be honest i think the challenges along the way far exceed what the outside world sees as growth and success right it's yeah. uh, it is it is ever challenging that's incredible and i wanted to ask you about some um some of the mentalities behind it but i think you touched on a few really really well have you found any no, do you not scrap that? I'm actually more curious about uh, about uh, hiring more senior members of staff. It's okay. actually a position we find ourselves in now at okay. WP. What kind of things? What kind of things are you looking for when you start paying the bigger bucks? When you start mm. hiring more senior members of staff? What kind of influence do you expect them to have on a business? Mm. Um, and then what do you look for when hiring them? It's a great question. And again, I think it comes down to who are great people leaders who yeah. can. Um, get the best from the individuals in the department and we've got uh, you know our mid-management and our senior management team such different individuals right mm. but again they come with unique um, skill sets that they're able to then help elevate the rest of the team members for so I really try to pick for attitude as well as the experience piece so obviously when you open up the checkbook you need the experience they need to come with a good pedigree yeah. but they've got to fit the team and they've got to fit the culture so again you know moving to more of a remote culture since COVID, all of that has had this knock-on effect to like, 
having to have people that we can trust remotely to work as well and have good leaders that can get the best from people in those scenarios when they're only seeing people a handful of times. Um, so really it's been about attitude, um, individualized skill sets and what they can bring to the rest of the team. Incredible. Can I flip that on its head? Yeah. What are some red flags for you when you do that? Yeah, I mean, look, you know, we, we have hired a couple of people that, that didn't work as well. Okay. Um, and I think some of that is sometimes just hiring just for the CV. Right. Or just for where they've worked before. You know, again, there's that sort of, as I mentioned before, when you're sort of scaling up, you're almost looking at other people for inspiration. Mm-hmm. Whereas now we're at a point where actually we want to lead and other people look at us yeah. for inspiration. And I think there's a switch in mindset there. Um, so sometimes I've been impressed with people having a, I don't know, a Google or a Facebook or whatever on their CV. And I've just been like, yeah, we need them. Yeah. But do you really need them? <laughs> you know, does what one bad person can infect the entire water whole you know so it's really important that um you know you hire for the right the right mentality as well as anything else it's very interesting you said that because we obviously we work very heavily on amazon and whenever we look to recruit people or if we bring in outside which we don't generally do much but if we bring someone from the outside to recruit for us yeah they generally get really excited when we say amazon because they've got a bunch of ex-amazonians they're ready to pitch to us and we work with amazon every single day i'm i'm on the phone on email to amazon and to be honest with you most of those guys don't know what they're talking about so it's it's this accreditation of they've worked there sure i think what if we do end up hiring somebody who's had an experience from Amazon, it's not their Amazon knowledge that I'd be after. Um, mm-hmm. I recognize that Amazon has offers their team great project management skills. There's various mm-hmm. different things, but when it comes to Amazon knowledge, that's why they're being brought to us. It's not necessarily what we'd sort of look for in yeah. those people individually. It's really interesting, isn't it? Because again, but you know, to start with, you're probably like, oh yeah, this is gonna, these guys are going to yeah, be yeah. amazing. But yeah, you realize quite quickly that it's um, it doesn't as long as they've got the core skill sets the rest of it you can sort of bring on anyway um, yourself and your own technique very interesting now i mentioned obviously we'll keep you humble and we'll ask you about some of the failures which you've, you've already discussed in terms of when it comes to digital ethos and what it took to become successful here but nobody hits a home run on their first swing mm-hmm. and um ram did some some digging you apparently set up a modeling agency in the past mm-hmm. walk, walk me through that journey how come you you, you did that and actually, that was my second company. So I guess I'll just oh. give you a bit of the... Uh, I've always been quite entrepreneurial. And I think it probably comes from... You know, I left home when I was 16. And I, I felt like I needed to self-generate income, really, to support myself. So I had my first company, which was a bar hire company when I was 18 to 19. Mm-hmm. Um, which was quite good, going out and doing uh, mini festivals. I actually got a contract with a company called IMC Events at the time. So we did some outside um, bar pop-ups for um, Beverly Night, Lamar at the time we'd been on, um, Pop Idol or whatever it was. It was kind of interesting, really, really good time, but kind of hard to, to make money. 2006, I think as well, it was like the wettest July on record at that oh, time. And we were dri- yeah, it was awful. We were driving in these seven and a half ton bloody lorries and getting them stuck and getting tractors to drag them out. And um, so it was good experience, but again, spent a lot of money on stock and all the rest of it, realized that actually it would have been better to have done buy and return, but you didn't realize it. So that was a that was an interesting one. Um, so I lost a bit of cash on that, but I had great experience. And then whilst I was doing that, one of the guys that came and worked on the bar for me had his own cider company called Battle Cider down in Hastings. Really okay. good, he was in a few pubs. Um, and he said to me, he used to be a model, like good looking guy, you know, to check out to away. So I kind of believed him. Yeah. And he's like, Yeah, I work for store models um, for a little oh, while. And what I'm really, oh, really? Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I'm really keen to set 
up my own like fleet of models, maybe try and spec them out, get them into some um, events, maybe do some catalog stuff. I was like, okay, cool. You know, at the time I was interested and I thought, well, he's got a bit of experience. Let's get into it. So I had no experience myself at all, but just had a love for anything business. And I think really at the time I just wanted to sap in knowledge. So we got going. Um, He didn't have any money to get going. I had a little bit left over from the bar company, which was my only real savings, which I put into it. Um, Ended up taking out a loan as well about six months later. Um, Very hard to make money in that space. Unless you're connected and you've got a good black book. We were doing like, had people on high streets going out and selling to mums and daughters like um, portfolio booklets for like 500 quid and stuff. And we made a bit of cash on that, but we were just hemorrhaging money trying to support ourselves. Um, We actually got a, uh, it was hard to get the actual proper catalogue stuff, but we did get quite a few like, uh, promotional give outs we had like a contract of Hovis where we went on high streets around the London tubes giving out bread and like <laughs> Lucas Aidle it was you know what it was from something that was nothing to something that was kind of fun to show that you can start with no knowledge and actually still get a few little contracts yeah not real money but um anyway it left that with a bit of debt which was um pretty frustrating at the end of it but also kind of understandable not having any real industry knowledge and 19 and dipping my toe in but I learned a lot yeah. about the mistakes I think you seem to have a really good perspective on it now in terms of the lessons that you learned did you feel like that at the time definitely not no no I felt I think I, I definitely felt quite downtrodden obviously the reason I was entrepreneurial I think I have been is that I wanted to give myself more freedoms and I felt like I'd taken freedoms away so I actually after that went and took a job yeah um, which was the first time I sort of worked for somebody else funnily enough other than small jobs when I was younger um, I took a job for a few years to pay the debt off and then after that, launched another company. So it was like, you know, I, I had this sort of realization of like, okay, you need to like bed down for a little while now and follow the normal approach and get some cash in. And but again, I learned a lot by doing that as well. I went to recruitment for a few years, really enjoyed that and um, did, definitely didn't want to make a career of it. No offense for any recruiters out there, but I've been a recruitment, uh, I know what you mean. <laughs> dreadful. Um, but it definitely taught me some sales skills and taught me a bit more about businesses in general, actually, because you're dealing with so many different types of companies. Yeah. Serious question. Are you addicted to entrepreneurship? <laughs> you took a break out and then, and then you came back here. Where's this coming from? Where's this, I got to do this, I got to... You're very driven and I can feel that just talking to you, not mm. just because of what I've read online about you. Mm. I can feel that coming from you and the energy. So how come you're so entrepreneurial? You mentioned you, you left home a family entrepreneurial or where do you think that comes from? Yeah, my dad, um, my dad has always had his own companies. Um, I think that probably being around that has definitely given me um giving me some motivation but i i didn't do very well at school i think i left with like five gcses i went to a drama college managed to get into drama college because i was quite good at, at acting at the time realized very quickly when i was there i didn't want to do that actually it wasn't for me but the skills that i learned there i think confidence and things was very helpful i just had this burning desire i think to to do things my way and to um to innovate and to try new things I, I just love the freedom that being an entrepreneur gives you and I, I have so many ideas that I want to put out there mm. um, and I really think there's something special about that startup element of when you've got an idea and then other people come in and they believe it as well and yeah. you sort of start to create something together that was just a concept once I think that's something really special it's like a, you know some people paint some people are uh, musicians some people are I feel like if you're like an inherent entrepreneur, it's almost like an, you need to do it. Yeah. 
I was uh, chatting to my brother recently and his wife works in uh, in finance and in operations there. Um, and she got a new job recently because she realized her favorite part about that job is planting a seed, creating a process. Mm. It might not necessarily, it's very good, but it's not the best. And then letting her team take that and letting it blossom into something beautiful. Mm. I was looking back at my job and I was like, it's exactly why I love my job. Something like that is, is you're right, it's, it's magical. And if I go back to the question, a little bit addictive in a weird way. It's really addictive, yeah. And even, even the pain and the hard and the long nights and the hardships that sometimes come with it, yeah. it's kind of addictive, right? Because you're like, right, okay, it's another challenge I need to deal with. Mm-hmm. What I've realized actually, the, the more I've gone on in my business journey or life journey is business is solving problems, right? Yeah. Hopefully you're solving them for other people, which means you probably have a good business. But it's also learning to solve problems day to day. And I, that's what I think I'm kind of a bit addicted to. Um, I really, I really enjoy that quick thinking and work on your feet type mentality. You, um, you say you have about a million thoughts a day. I'm sorry, a thought a minute, did you say? An idea a minute. Idea a minute probably, yeah. How do you filter them? What, what, makes, what makes the cut? How, how do you decide that? Yeah, it's a great question. I always try to, um, ones that sort of feel like they've got energy, I will write down and then I will probably rest them for a while and come back to them when I've got a bit of like reflection time. So in my diary, I map out six hours a week where I have reflection time now, which is quite, oh, kind cool. of, you know, it's kind of a new thing. But in those sessions, that's a time when I'm not supposed to be doing anything that's day-to-day digital ethos or token capital related. I try to just think. So on those sessions, I'll pull back out my little notepad and um, I've got a remarkable, so I just scribble it in there. Um, And I'll pull it up and I'll just work through whether I think that's actually got something that's viable. Is it it gonna benefit society, other people? Is it solving a problem? What pain area, what itch is it trying to scratch of my own? Um, And I try to, you know, move them in or out based on that, basically. Um, And also because, as I mentioned before, that momentum piece, I think, is really important. I try to only look look at things for now that are going to actually be possible based on my own timeframes. So if it's digital ethos relevant or um, token capital potential, then I'll consider it. Um, So if it's tech for digital ethos, for example, cool, that could probably be explored push it into the strategy team as well, have a conversation internally to see if it's something that's going to be viable. Um, otherwise, probably leave it for the time being. Um, I'm glad you mentioned Tobin Capital. I've got a couple of questions on that, but could you briefly explain what, what Tobin Capital is? Yeah, um, Tobin Capital is a, um, a small capital investment firm which I set up purely because day-to-day at Digital Ethos, you know, it becomes much more process-led you're involved in more team-based things the the issues and the problems i'm solving are much more around processes Mm. um and that sort of dampens that initial entrepreneurial part of me so in order to feed me i set up tobin capital so i could work with scale up and start up businesses which again i love could do some advisory and actually all came about because of advisory to start with um i actually was just giving some free advice to someone I said, hey, can you do this a bit more formally? You know, what would you charge? And we, we came to an agreement on a little bit of equity. And then that sort of got me thinking, well, actually, maybe I could do more of that for a little bit more equity. And having an agency is kind of good as well, because there's areas where you can do little bits of um, time for, for equity. So Tome Capital was born. And um, I think there's about 15, maybe 14 or 15 companies now that, that we support for a mix of funding, time, and uh, maybe even marketing from time to time. So you, uh, I read online that it's generally focused on tech, eco-tech? 
that's been really the sweet spot that I've gone for. You yeah. know, I've got a real passion myself for, um, I don't want to be cheesy, saving the planet, but trying to trying to do our, our bit while we can. I, we've actually just got our B Corp status approved this week, which is great. So um, to me, you know, having a business that is ethical, um, is diverse, is focused on sustainability and is a business of purpose, not just of profit is important. Again, that sort of feeds my inner sort of self. So yeah, that's been that's been the the focus really for Tobin Capital because if there's a passion behind something, it's so much easier to get behind and give time to. You know, I've, I took on a couple of um, early projects with Tobin Capital. I didn't really, I didn't really love the industry they were in. Didn't really get it, and I don't think that really helps anybody. Um, I can give basic advice, but I can't get the passion behind it. So I've really gone for stuff that I'm passionate about. That's why. This is a hard question. Why? Why are you passionate about eco and the environment? Not not why are you passionate? Why do you feel like it's so important? Because it is. It absolutely is. And it's becoming oh, yeah. more and more important. Yeah. Um, why do you feel within yourself that it's that it's so important? And uh, Especially in, in industries that, you know, marketing isn't necessarily associated to that, but you yeah. want to run your business in that way. How come? It all started when I was 23. I went to um, Southeast Asia, traveled. Mm. I was lucky enough to travel through eight or nine countries. Had sort of four months doing that. Yeah. A little bit of work off a laptop whilst I was doing it. Um, then I lived in Oz for a couple of years. But whilst I was there, I spent quite a lot of time in Indonesia. And their rainforest has been depleted by almost 92%. So they've got 8% left, which is crazy. And it was the second largest rainforest in the world mm. after the Amazon at one point. But it's been wow. completely depleted. And because of the way they're set up as an acapella, they've got all the individual islands, they're self-governed islands. So those governors quite often have allowed the deforestation to happen. Now they're trying to switch back to replanting. But when I was there, like there was a real, this was what, 20, 15 years ago, something like that when I was there. Yeah. There was a real sort of concern from people I was talking to about the fact that their livelihoods were going because um obviously of the deforestation but then there's this whole bigger piece that came out about your own footprint your own responsibility then global warming's really started to become much more widely spoken about and it just it felt quite close to me like actually i've sort of seen the effect that it has as well as now i think we have a moral obligation to the planet and to each other to try and do something and affect change um so it's actually my first business idea that I had to try and go and support that was to actually tree plant in Indonesia. Mm. So I actually spoke to one of the governors there um, to try and look at how it'd be done. There's a lot of red tape, extremely corrupt, very, very hard to get. So I sort of came away from the idea. So instead of that, doing these things now, leveraging the business I have and the support I can give, I think is, is, um, is about what I can do at the moment. I think when it comes to asking that question, I can be a bit of a dick, but yeah. that is by far one of the best answers. That you, it's it's personal to you, yeah. Right? Like you're really quite quite deeply connected to that, and I find that very interesting. It seemed like it came from such a genuine place, um, yeah. especially that you've seen it firsthand. That's really cool. The the other stuff that I I want to ask you is more centered around what we started talking about in the beginning, which where I I was talking about all of your successes and you said you still feel like you've got a long way to go and I want to ask about that in a little bit. Before that, um, I was asking around. I, I told people at the office that I was coming to interview you and they said how how successful in this individual and from what I've seen, incredibly successful. And they asked me to ask you why you keep going. Why 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 not just go to like Tahiti? drink some uh, lovely bevs on the beach um, and kick back? Well, firstly, I'm not that rich yet. Okay. Um, so so let, let, let's clear that up. We're, def we're, def we're definitely not uh, Barbados, Tahiti full time. Okay. Um, 
maybe in retirement that would be kind of nice, right? Half the year, but no. So I'm still, I'm still, I feel like I've got a lot to give, right? I'm still young as well, um, young-ish anyway, if 37's young. And I feel like I've got, a, yeah, just got a lot more that I want to do. Um, I feel like we've just started scratching the surface. Digital ethos is still, to me, in its infancy. Um, we want to help more clients. We've just touched on international uh, internationalization. The management team I have in place, I have behind my belief and vision that we want to be top 10 UK independent agency in the next three years. Now to get there by revenue, we need to be like four or five times the size we are today. The team will be 200 people rather than 50. So there's there's some stuff to do, basically. Yeah. <laughs> We've still got some work to do. Um, and maybe after all of that, you know, the future, if I was to exit, sell, step out, someone else come in, who knows? would probably look like me still advising and working through Tobin Capital, looking after and supporting other scale-up businesses. I think that's where long-term I would love love to do um, and love to focus. But for now, there's plenty to do. And the other thing is I, I posted on my Instagram, um, again, that I was going to be speaking to you and what I should ask. I have very silly immature friends, so I won't ask you those questions. <laughs> but I got one question that was quite interesting. What does a, a day-to-day look like as you? That's a good question. I mean, I, I try to not be led by my calendar or things that are... Teach me. <laughs> I'm a slave to very, that. very hard. Yeah. Um, having Vita, my PA, in place has actually been kind of good for that because dead easy to find yourself trapped in your inbox, right? Otherwise, yeah. as, a, as a director, you don't want to miss anything. And I think that's the problem. You feel like you have a responsibility to be all over everything. For a long time, I felt like that. Yeah. And then actually that's like a mistrust thing of the managers you've got in place, which they don't deserve and you shouldn't do that. So allow them to do their thing. Um, and instead what I do is I try to, I get up in the morning, I try to do a bit of exercise. Um, and I'm not a saint, by the way, I often miss it and I still eat pizzas and I do, I'm not, not a saint, but I try to structure the day in the sense that I've done something for myself in the morning, even if it's, you know, going for a walk with the dog or whatever it is. Then I'll jump in and I'll write down a little to-do list of, uh, to-do list of what's important for me for the day. And again, there's books out there, people bang on about this. I'm not saying I'm perfect at it and I don't always do it every day, but most days I try to do it, right? Yeah. And that gives me some structure to like what good looks like at 5.30, yeah. right? Then I know that there are going to be a few curveballs. There's going to be some questions. People are going to ask me for a call. My mobile might ring. But I try to have those reflection moments in the day or certainly times when I can make sure I'm focused on those core things. And then obviously there's going to be meetings and bookings and stuff that come out, but I don't let that time run me. The other thing I've started to do is stand up for meetings, especially internal meetings. I've got a standing desk now and I find by standing, you feel a bit more ready to like just get the meeting done. You're not sat in for the long run, you know, you're not sat in for a chat, you're there for a reason. And I think with so many like video calls and so much time spent now, glued to your screen, it's important to have like structure to them. Um, and a lot of the calls I'm doing, I'm pulling down to 15 minutes, whereas they used to be, if not 30, they were 60, yeah. you know, having a bit of a chin wag, you're getting, you know, it takes 10 minutes to get started. And don't get me wrong, you need those relationship moments as well. But if it is something that's very specific and it needs to, then just try and cap it to much more itemized agendas. And that that's really helped me. And actually, weirdly, you know, going to Canada was a real eye-opener for me because I assumed that by being there I was going to like be waking up to like a barrage of stuff to worry about but I wasn't you know maybe a couple of messages and I really left the team to their devices over here by the time I woke up I was five hours behind the day then I was online for like three four hours with them by one o'clock in Canada time Toronto time 
awesome. I had the day then to think, to work on my own stuff, to get through my... It was kind of cool, actually. I thought, oh, maybe I should live over here, but, <laughs> but, but for now, we'll, um, we'll, we'll keep, keep it as is. But um, yeah, I think it's about just being quite strict with yourself. So uh, uh, what you've actually defined, and I don't know if this came from this, um, is a, I recently read a book called Make Time. Okay. Um, and the whole concept is around creating a highlight for your day. Um, and by 5.30, if you've, if you've accomplished that highlight, that's a good day. Okay. Or if you set it for your next day, that's fine. But the problem is if you don't set a highlight, everything you just described happens. Yes. You come in, you're a slave to your emails, then you go to meetings, you come back. And whatever that side project is or that thing that actually excited you about yeah. being there yeah. tends to generally go amiss. Mm -hmm. um, what I want to ask you is, uh, and there's a bigger question to this, but is that a space where you find yourself consuming a lot of information, whether that's reading or viewing, like um, managing your time, efficiency or productivity? It is. I mean, I, I, I actually, I do read a lot of books and I think probably the the way that I've even tried to streamline that to make it more efficient is I use an app now called Headway, okay, which basically yeah. condenses books into 20 minutes. So I love books and I love physically reading books, but actually finding the time to sit down and, you know, for me, I'm quite a slow reader. Again, five GCSEs, right? It <laughs> takes, takes, takes me like eight, eight, nine hours probably to get through a book. It might take someone three or four hours. Yeah. Um, I think I'm probably slightly on the verge of dyslexic. You know, I read a page and then I have to reread it. So listening to audio has been a game changer for me. Um, listening to podcasts, listening to it, it's been, yeah, it's been revolutionary. But also being able to condense those books because really books have what? One or two key nuggets you want to take from them. Yeah. Um, and if they're condensed, that's fine. I can get like a couple of books in a day maybe when I'm traveling or when I'm between meetings. So that's been really pivotal for me. But I think we're all, we're all, all always learning, right? We have to be learning constantly to be able to give the best of ourselves for um, our own futures, our own lives, but also for the staff and the people that we're responsible for. And I think actually that's the other thing. As, as the team have grown, I genuinely feel responsible for others now yeah. and I feel like I need to be the best version of myself to be able to be the to bring the best out in them so um by getting more knowledge then that's one of the ways that I feel I can I can do it and give back yeah I so I, I recently signed up to Headway not because I want to consume media through that because I'm, I'm reading for a different reason it's this weird thing I'm going through but um <laughs> when I read books quite like you I'm slow okay. I've started reading a lot this year but prior to that, when I was a kid, I read loads, but there's a 15 year gap in between that. Mm. But I'm reading now to almost slow down time. Okay. I feel like since the age of 18 to today, I'm, I'm 26 now, time has just flown by. Yeah. And that's very scary looking in retrospect when I'm looking forwards as well. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm also realizing the more I read, the less I'm picking up from these books. And I want to use Headway to, to try and like capture the key points back, make sure at least I got something out of it. Yeah. Yeah. But what I wanted to ask is, as well as reading on this, have there been, obviously, through all of these businesses, difficult times, emotionally, mentally, things that you've struggled? And what sort of helped you come out of that? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. I mean, my anxiety, I don't think I ever really, as a younger man, suffered from anxiety. Mm. But I think as you go through your career, certainly for me, I developed this imposter syndrome, right? Mm, yeah. So, and I think a lot of people, it's become quite a... Um, an on-trend thing to talk about and be open about but for me it like really did hit me quite hard so as you start to build more traction people want to do things like this right or they want to ask you to go on stage and things and I still you know two weeks before going on stage now I'll still be having sleepless nights and stressing and you know um, 
So it has taken a toll. I also think from a relationship perspective, when I first started Digital Ethos, I couldn't hold down a relationship. I couldn't, you know, because I was working 12, 15, 16 hour days, which I know is taboo to even talk about as a CEO these days. Oh God, that guy's talking about overworking, you know, he's yeah. a bad CEO. But it's like, that's what I did. And that's yeah, what yeah. I felt I had to do. Um, for me, there has been literally no substitute for hard, hard work. I've had to graft and I still feel like I graft probably certainly beyond what the realm of you know people would say you should now um but yeah uh, mental health definitely takes a knock um physical health as well sometimes and they're um, very closely linked off, well so i find anyway. oh yeah that mind body soul yeah. connection is something that again as i've sort of got older i've got a little bit more i'm not religious but a little bit more spiritual with like the way that i see the world and i think about energy and how things move and i certainly I can see that when I train or I go and I, I do something good for myself, I feel much more settled, confident for the day. My, my demeanor is probably better. Like everything flows together, right? Yeah. As a core, much more than we, we allow ourselves to realize. I had to look up spirituality because I didn't, I've never considered myself particularly spiritual. I grew yeah. up quite religious in a religious family, but in terms of spirituality, um, just thought it was a load of crap. And then I started looking into this. Um, and again, I think there's like, Again, I come from a family of math teachers, so there has to be an element of science in what I believe in. But I was looking into it, and I was also looking into, uh, again, this book, Make Time, about how I always thought, okay, well, everybody talks about, you know, our ancestors and the bodies that we came from aren't designed to sit at a computer. I was like, but surely we evolved. And looking back at it for like 200,000 years, we were cave people. Yeah. This whole technology shift has only happened in, you know, the last 50, 100 years or so. We haven't had time to adapt. No. I've realized like, you know, walking and just walking home. It's, it's an hour long walk home for me, but I did it the other day. Right. And when I drive home, I didn't have any time to like cook dinner. I just got home, jumped on Instagram, spending an hour outside walking home in this gorgeous weather we're having at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, I walked to the shop, I cooked myself dinner and I felt like I'd had more energy. I was like, why? Why do I feel like I have more energy after an hour long walk than I do sat comfortably in a car? And that's where I really started to look into spirituality and started to to understand that there is a space for it. It's not believing in stars aligning and stuff. There there is a side to that and I'll Mm -hmm. never judge anyone for believing in that. It's Mm -hmm. just not for me. Mm -hmm. Um, Something else I wanted to talk to you about and, and, and we'll wrap up pretty soon is you, you said working hard, uh, well, working 16 hour days and, and stuff like that is generally taboo. And I have seen that shift uh, quite recently of people talking about how you've got to hustle and work hard to now is like all about resting and stuff. Yeah. So you feel like you needed to do that. In hindsight, looking back, do you still think that's a feeling or do you think you would have still got here without that? Because I'd, I'd struggle to believe, you know, it t- does take hard work to get to, to where you want to be. It, it, it takes a lot of hard work. And I, I, um, I say to the founders that I work with and I advise, I'm like, just, just graft. Yeah. Like if you, if you really want this, you need, you need to put in the hours, you need to put in the time because nobody else is going to do it for you, right? Yeah. And I think my team that I have now are exceptional. They're, they're brilliant. But like for me, I will still probably be working one of the longest days because whilst they're brilliant, and they're doing what they need to do in their hours and they should be doing it in their hours because they've got their own lives to live. Yeah. For me, I'm the one that is the visionary in the business. So for me, I feel like I still need to put in that extra to be able to feed them yeah. and feed their energy as well. So um, yeah, I don't think I would have got to here without grafting. No, it's the honest, honest answer. And it's um, those extra nights of sitting up and working late and whatever, I don't regret any of them actually. Um, I probably regret some of the effects it had on my uh, mental health or on my own physical health. 
that's a shame. That's a that's a, a bad side of it. But fundamentally, I think the business and me personally, and also the reflection I'm able to do now, is only because of those yeah. moments. Um, I wasn't able to otherwise I wouldn't know how to reflect on them because I wouldn't have been through them so I don't regret any of them I think what you said there is probably the most I'm really glad you said it is the most key distinction of if this is what you want yes right you need to, I think maybe all of this taboo came from people who weren't sure if this is what they wanted mm. put in the hard work and realize the consequences because if it's not what you want yeah. it's not worth sacrificing the relationships like you said mm. been there um, sacrificing quality time it is really really hard yeah but if you're super clear about that being what you want mm. I don't there is only one way to get there and it's mm. as you say it's hard work it's grafting um, this has been incredible. I just want to ask you one last thing. Sorry, two last things, I promise. <laughs> um, what is something I should have asked you, but I didn't? God, that's such a good question. <laughs> and a really hard question. Yeah, I love it because it means I don't have to do anything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, just, just pass the I book. just delegate it. <laughs> I think I've touched on like the uh, future that I, I see the industry moving in. I think that's always a good one. I think probably um, there's the, uh, somebody asked me a question the other day actually it probably feeds into this again one of the advisory bits I was doing they were like if you were to um, go back and start all over again you know or if you had the chance to or if you were in my shoes would you would you do it the same way would you do it smarter what could you do to be smarter yeah and I actually think probably the answer to that question and maybe this is good for this this one is I would have trusted people faster and wow. got more people around me that were again believe what I believe but I would have given them more more respect to have given them more of the the workload early on to have allowed me to stay more strategic I think whilst we've had fast growth in the agency one thing I'm trying to do with token capital and the other stuff I'm involved in is not hold people back if they want it yeah. let them go with it right people are going to make mistakes things are going to trip I would do that myself why not let other people do it and learn as well like don't hinder other people's journeys when they can elevate yours that's incredible. Um, and the final thing, I want to make this a bit of a recurring question for our guest. You're the, you're the first person. And final question, what is your number one favorite thing about being an entrepreneur? Number one favorite thing yeah. is probably, um, well, no, it is. I think it's genuinely being able to help other people become the best version of themselves. And in turn, that makes me the best version of myself. Like I genuinely take a lot of enjoyment from seeing something that looks impossible slash hard come to fruition um something from concept through to actual delivery even just little um like micro successes in the business where we come up with a new way of like supporting a customer or new communication strategy just to give an example which we rolled out recently like then seeing that with customers and customers going this is amazing so much better why didn't you always do this and you go okay cool nailed that it's that feeling of like moving things through and pushing them through and actually seeing them succeed that's all i had i am eternally grateful for this that was Thank such you. a for me that was such a fascinating conversation i had so much to to learn from Thank you so much. Pleasure. Um, Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm genuinely. <laughs> awesome. Thank Thanks. you so much. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers.